Hi, I'm Dale Sherbeck, and welcome to the HQ, a CHA Learning and Healthcare Can podcast serial, where we dive into healthcare issues and topics from the perspective of its people and discuss them with those that are leading in the health system. Together, we'll try to unpack these topics and learn what actions are being taken to innovatively solve them today. This is the second episode from a two-part interview where I've been speaking with Kristen Winter, Vice President of Human Resources, Workforce Optimization and Leadership at Sunnybrook Health Science Centre in Toronto. Hi, Kristen. Welcome back to the HQ. Thanks. Thanks for having me. When you were last with us, Kristen, you shared the impact that COVID pandemic has had on you as an HR leader and the challenges you're facing in your role. A lot of that centres around a gap in your workforce, as you've described. And I guess some might say we have a labor gap, though I'm not really sure I, either of us would really like that word. Um, but bottom line, we have a brigade of healthcare workers who've been battling something akin to a blazing fire here for going on two years without any reinforcements. And people are tired and burnt out, and some are saying enough. But the fire hasn't gone away, and now you have a backlog of work that hasn't been done in two years. And we're facing the prospect of fewer people to do it. So I want to ask you how we're going to manage. What do we need, Kristen? Yeah, it's uh, it's the million dollar question, I think, of 2022 and probably will be for the next number of years. You know, I think there's there's a few things that we that we need to be mindful of. Um, one is how do we manage on a short-term basis? And what does that short-term look like? And you referenced burnout and the challenges associated with our staff and, and giving them a break. Um, and then the second piece really is, what are we going to do long-term? How do we encourage more people to go into healthcare? Uh, how do we broaden our offerings in terms of what does that look like from a university perspective? Uh, how many seats do we have in, in schools like nursing um, how do we make people, um, high school students, aware of the types of amazing careers that happen in, in hospitals that are that are not necessarily just the nurses, but the lab techs or the, or the pharmacists, and um, and how do we attract those? Those are the longer term things. Obviously, we're not going to reap the benefits of somebody in high school going into nursing or pharmacy or a lab tech role for four or five years. Um, so we've got to do something now uh, that's, that's, uh, we have to be mindful of, but we also have to be strategic about this. We have to think about what we're going to do long-term, um, to make sure that, you know, in four or five years, we're not still wondering or scratching our heads about what we're going to do. Um, so I think short-term, uh, there's a few things that I think we, uh, we can do. The first, quite honestly, is, um, looking at how, uh, we staff our, our areas and our units and making sure that we're doing it in a way that makes the most sense and, um, providing the right level of care to our patients. Uh, and, and while also making sure that we're giving our, our staff the right time. Uh, thinking creatively about uh, different uh, sponsorship programs, whether it be uh, encouraging uh, staff to go into the OR or into areas like the emergency department or critical care where uh, we do extra education for them. And, and how do we make that education attractive to nurses that uh, maybe are currently working in acute care? Uh, and then you know, we've heard a lot and it's been in the, in the media a, a lot over the last little while about uh, what does it look like in terms of foreign trained professionals and how do we attract uh, individuals to Canada and to the health system here in Canada. 
um, while also always being mindful that when we attract somebody from another country, uh, we're taking away from their health system. And so paying Peter, sort of stealing from Peter to pay Paul, um, and always being mindful that uh, we as Canadians never want to um, take people away from a one health system and into another health system because there's a penalty that comes with that in terms of the, the care that can be provided in other in other countries. Uh, so there, there's, uh, you know, sort of a multiple uh, way of thinking about these challenges. Uh, but certainly, I think uh, looking at those who are foreign trained, particularly those who are already here in Canada, who may be not otherwise using that training, and, and looking at how we engage with those individuals and bring them into the health system and help them get back to the job that they were doing that they presumably loved in their in their other country or their home country. Yeah, we all hear the, it sounds like a cliche about, you know, right, the, the foreign trained physician who's driving taxi downtown Toronto. Um, and then one day I took a taxi downtown Toronto before the COVID. And, and yes, yeah, who was shuttling me around? <laughs> yeah, so it's real. Um, but um, so, I mean, where did these foreign trained professionals come from, Kristen? Uh, so, I mean, they come from all over. Um, uh, you know, we have uh, a number of countries, certainly, that I think uh I'm more attuned with, but I, I don't necessarily know that I would protest to know every country that they come from. Certainly, uh, we have a number of individuals that have come from the Philippines uh, as registered practical nurses. And um, uh, but but, you know, who's to say they don't come from other countries? Um, they absolutely do. And uh, I'll, I'll name that one. But I, there's countless other countries that they come from. Um, and I think I think you're right. You know, how do we make sure that when they come here, assuming that they're coming here because they want to come here and start their life in Canada, and not because we've um, attracted them to uh, Sunnybrook or Canada and, and sort of, for lack of a better term, you know, um, air quote, stole them from another country? Um, how do we make sure that when they get here, they're able to um, utilize their skills and their knowledge and their background? Uh, and yes, of course, there's credentialing requirements within the province of Ontario and, and you know, across the whole country. There's credentials that are required within each province. Um, but how do we make sure that they're able to um, easily seek those uh, that, that those qualifications, get the education and navigate what can be an incredibly overwhelming and complex um, set of processes? Not necessarily by anybody's fault, but rather that they're just processes you have to navigate and they're in a new country in potentially a new language who's to say and and so navigating all of that um and helping them through that and that's i think the role that we uh that we along with um our government partners um and and other organizations can can help in order to ensure that those who want to pursue a career a clinical career like they had in the country that they came from are able to do so so maybe, I mean, you alluded to a couple of them a little bit, but maybe just to go into a bit more detail about, you know, so what is the challenges about, you know, arriving in this country and, um, you know, and ending up, you know, in, in, a, in meaningful or, or appropriately, you know, employment? I, you know, I'm, I was born and raised here in Toronto, so um, I am by no means um, the expert in what it's like to move uh, countries um, 
the furthest movement I ever made was to the suburbs of Toronto. So I, I don't, I'm definitely not an expert in this area. Um, but you know, I, you know, I would assume that there are things like, you know, navigating our grocery stores and, uh, where to get your prescriptions filled or who's paying for those prescriptions. Because if you're new to the country, you don't have a benefit plan. Um, so there are things like that, you know, if you have small children, how do you navigate, um, a daycare or school systems, uh, where to live, uh, and, and, and everything that comes with all of the, the basic essentials that I think we, um, take for granted if we were born and raised here in Canada. Uh, I don't think twice about where I go to the grocery store. I just go to the grocery store and I don't think twice about where I get the pasta. I just go to the pasta aisle and I buy them. Um, and so there are components to our culture and our lifestyle that we all take for granted because we do it every day, essentially without even thinking about it. That I think we never want to, um, we never want to take, uh, take lightly. And I think there are components to that, but then there is the other, the other stuff, so to speak, which is, you know, understanding what the regulations are, understanding what the testing is, is that you need to go through to get your credentials um, approved, what education you have to do to upskill uh, or change your credentials to be um, qualified under the province that you're living in. Um, and, and all of the, the components of those regulations, and there are multiple different steps associated with that. And so, uh, at Sunnybrook, one of the things we've done, um, we started uh, internally and we did a call out to everybody who was internationally trained, um, but not necessarily providing that level of care at the hospital. So uh, individuals who are, say, an, a registered nurse or a registered practical nurse from another country, um, sitting down with each of them and understanding where they are in that journey and what that looks like and then how to help them uh, navigate and, and, and by help just, you know, making sure that they have the right routes that they need to take uh, and partnering with um, organizations, external organizations to uh, help them through that process, um, making sure that they know what steps they need to take and where, where they go. Uh, so there are sort of two organizations we've really strongly partnered with. One helps navigate that process. And the other helps navigate uh, things like uh, costs associated with how they're going to pay for it and, and making sure that they have, because we obviously don't have the funding to be able to financially um, cover these costs. And so uh, helping, helping them navigate through what that would look like, uh, answering their questions. And then making sure that, and I've used this term before, and I, I like this term, which is essentially bubble wrapping them, making sure that they have uh, a place to go to ask questions. They have a place to learn and grow, uh, and they are feeling fostered and supported. And we know that when that all happens, uh, individuals are successful. So uh, working closely with them uh, as individuals so uh, that they can be successful because ultimately that benefits everybody, not just benefits um, us as an employer, but it benefits them as an employee and it benefits our patients. Yeah, I, I mean... I've had the the fortune myself of having uh, worked and lived in two other countries in my life, and and I certainly came away with empathy I never had before as a result of that. And I was a proponent that every Canadian should go and live abroad at some point in time, so that we really understand what's what it's like to be different and other. Um, you know, I even in one of those, you know, I lived in China for a year and, and I got to experience what it's like to be a visible minority and not many white people in Canada get to say that. Yeah. Um, 
But I do think that our systems and our bureaucrats don't truly appreciate what it's like to move from one country to another. Um, and the challenge is that even those that have been sponsored or supported, I think, find themselves in a very difficult situation of trying to, I think, in your words, to navigate, um, you know, what it's like to sort of start a, a new life here and to find employment and create connections and community and all the rest of that. So um, you, you talked a little bit about helping people to sort of um, navigate, I guess, the financial parts of that. Could you go into a bit more detail about what that looks like and how you're doing that? For sure. So, you know, we've partnered with an organization called Windmill, which is a micro lending organization that uh, helps uh, foreign trained individuals and, and they help not just healthcare. They, they are not specific to healthcare, but uh, we've tapped into them from the healthcare perspective. Uh, and they work with individuals and help them navigate everything from the contract that they might be signing with the rental agreements that they are staying in uh, to um, working through daycare costs or navigating um, other expenses. And they have a micro lending. So they, at a low interest rate, provide financial funding to these individuals to ensure that they are supported uh, financially. But they don't just sort of hand them you know, a check and say, you know, good luck to you. They, you know, work through the mentorship process and partner them with uh, other individuals who are, who maybe been in, in Canada for five years, but were internationally trained or internationally educated um, so that there's a mentorship component to this, which is beneficial, not just to the new person to Canada, but to the person who's been here for five years and now they're able to give back. And so it's a, it's a, a way of, expanding on that bubble wrap analogy that I used. So we at Sunnybrook can't do all of that. Um, we obviously don't have a micro lending um, business. We're not in the financial industry. We don't have the ability to um, navigate, you know, a rental agreement contract or anything like that. But the folks at Windmill have that skill set and they have that ability and um, they are able to add to that. So it's really about giving those who are new to Canada uh, various people or various organizations to support them in their journey uh, and not sort of leaving them high and dry. You know, I think the pandemic, I think we were already kind of there, but certainly the pandemic has taught us that we are more than just employees. We are, you know, we are members of the community that we live in. We are members of uh uh, our, with our families. Um, we have multiple components to our lives that are not just singular in that this is our employer and we walk in the front door. We don't walk in the front door and drop all of our personal baggage, for lack of a better word, at the door and pick it up, back up on our way out. So we have to make sure, particularly for those who are new to Canada, they're, um, you know, the stuff that they've got going on and the stresses that they have are very unique and, and arguably very, very challenging and, and new and scary. And so it's very easy to sort of say, oh, I'm going to give up. And to your point, I'm going to drive a, a taxi and, and hopefully, um, you know, hopefully they don't. Uh, hopefully they're able to do the, the job that they were doing in their home country. And so that, that's our goal. Our goal is to, is to um, foster that and support that. So, uh, I mean, how did you find out about Windmill and like, I mean, how did that 
how did that become part of your solution? I'm really curious. Yeah, it's a funny story. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was a reach out by the CEO of Windmill to my CEO. Uh, and um, uh, they got to chatting. I think they had a, a mutual connection. They got to chatting and then my CEO uh, passed their information over to me and then I reached out to them and um, uh, by strange and weird coincidence we had a, a mutual uh, a mutual friend which we had no idea we had um, and we got to chatting and and it just it was a perfect fit to be honest it just their goal and their mission and their values aligned beautifully with uh, Sunnybrook's vision and mission and values and um uh, we're all working in the same direction, doing the same uh, work to ensure that the people that are coming into Sunnybrook and who are working here are, are able to be successful. And they're they're just they're hitting it at a different angle than we're hitting it, but that's a beautiful partnership because it allows us to um, to do that uh, together. So I, I um, yeah, it's it's uh, you know it was a little bit of word of mouth, um, but they're they're well known in a variety of industries, um, and in particular in the financial industry. And so uh, this was uh, this was sort of it wasn't a new endeavor for them. Healthcare they'd always been doing, but this was an opportunity for us to really sort of amplify the work that they were doing and really highlight it. So, are they uh, local to Toronto, or do they do business across the country? Uh, that's a good question. I actually uh, don't know that I, uh, they're definitely local in Toronto in that they're, they reside here in Toronto. Um, but um, I'm not sure if they go broadly, but I would suspect that if they don't, that they have good connections that go to other provinces for sure. Interesting. Well, maybe some of our listeners will see opportunities to do something similar in other parts of the country. So yeah, for sure. Um, so a couple of things, I guess, that come to mind. I mean, I mean, what are the ethical questions about recruiting from other countries? I mean, why are we doing this or why do we need to do this? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. Um, you know, I think I think the big the big piece and, and you know, I've had the pleasure of speaking with um, individuals from the federal government on this particular topic. Uh, and, you know, recognizing that we, we don't want to lure healthcare workers from uh, other countries, particularly countries that uh, may be in uh, a more challenging situation than we are, particularly with COVID, uh, access to things like uh, vaccines, um, which may be more challenging in other countries than it is here in Canada. And so, you know, you never want to be uh, luring somebody from another country where they might otherwise uh, be incredibly useful there, and um, we don't want to decimate the health system in another country um, to the benefit of Canada. It's just not—it's it, not right. It's not ethical, and frankly, it's just not the Canadian way. Um, we we just we wouldn't do that. So I think our focus really has to be less on luring and you know less on advertising to come and work here. Which which to be honest. You know, pre me getting into healthcare, that was done quite um, quite regularly. They used to advertise and and lure people from other countries, um, like twenty five years ago. Um, now it's really around if people have identified or are on that list to come into Canada or already are physically here in Canada, and to your point, driving a taxi or doing something that's not in line with what they were doing in their home country. How do we make it? a smooth succession, successful transition from 
uh, where they are at and where they are in their journey to um, being a fully uh, licensed healthcare worker here in Canada. And what, what can that look like and how can we do that successfully? So I think it's really less about luring people away and more, more about reaching out to those who are here um, or who are about to be here um, or who have identified with our Canadian government that they'd like to come here um, and, um, and working with them. Yeah, so it's about helping people who, you know, who have a background in healthcare, who are wanting to come to Canada, and then helping them, perhaps more in a different perspective, to successfully integrate or or um, land in Canada and um, and to be successful in their lives. Exactly. But we do hear sort of discussions about this being an important, I guess, short-term fix for, um, for us. And, and I, I know that, you know, you didn't create the problem. Um, but what, why are we here? Like, like, why are we struggling to find workers, you know, and, and looking to them from other sources, other countries, um, you know, undiscovered, you know, potentials within our own country already, um, you know, wh- why don't we have a, a you know, a, a stable supply of, of people who want to work in healthcare? You know, it's, I, I actually, it's a great question. I, I would say that I don't necessarily know that I have a definitive answer. I have some, you know, some theories for sure. I think, you know, part of the challenge is we need, uh, we need more spots in, in the education system uh, to uh, attract uh, I think, you know, I, I don't think there's a shortage of people that are interested in getting to healthcare. And my understanding um, is that as a result of the pandemic, there were more people that were actually um, applying to the university programs and to a point where some of our some of our universities here in Ontario, you know, the average to get into nursing school is, you know, an over 90 average, which is, is quite significantly high. Um, and, and so I think... Um, you know, I think ideally, you know, at the end of the day, it all comes down to, unfortunately, uh, dollars and cents. And how do we expand the opportunities within our education um, in, in terms of academia? Like, how do we make more spots available in in the colleges and um, the universities? How do we uh, make it more supportive? Um, universities very expensive. And if you um, are relying on um, loans to be able to go to university, that's incredibly challenging. So I think, you know, for a variety of different reasons, it comes down to, um, it does come down to money, I think. And, uh, you know, not solely, but I think it's, it's definitely uh, money. Um, and and I think, how did we get here? Oh, I million dollar question, really. Like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we're, our generations are lasting, are living longer, which is, I guess, a good thing, right? Um, it's not, certainly not a bad thing. Um, but that comes with more complexity and it comes with more, more illness and more disease and, you know, rising, rising cases of things like cancer are certainly um, problematic. And so people are sicker. And, and one of the things I think we've done in healthcare that's really positive is people spend less time in hospitals because uh, we've learned how to do things faster, safer, better. Um, as, as with life, we, 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 we are on a continuum of learning. And so I think we've learned how to do things better. And so um, we're able to care for patients in a different way, but it, it still requires nurses and um, to care for those patients, even if they're only here for a couple of days. And so I think uh, we need to, uh, you know, 
we we needed to um, be prepared for for this. And I think um, you know that hindsight's twenty twenty. Nobody could have predicted this pandemic. Nobody could have predicted a pandemic that would last two years, um, or at least certainly I didn't. Um, and I think so. I think on top of a challenging system that was already quite challenged you've now added a layer of exhaustion and um you know you know people are leaving um healthcare or retiring early or choosing to uh maybe work less uh maybe dropping from full-time to part-time uh because they're because they're tired and they're worn out and so i think it's it's almost like a perfect storm so why did we not predict it i, I don't know that we could have I guess part of what you're describing as well, coming back at the dollars and cents part is, I mean, that it is, I, I, maybe you know, but I, I, I mean, I've heard, like, is it $100,000 or more than that, that it takes to sort of develop a physician in our country um, because of the, it's a publicly funded or subsidized health, uh, education system. And so do we, is it a failure for us to invest in our education systems that, um, you know, that has us, you know, importing uh, labor cheaper um, or opening the doors for that from other countries, which are doing it for us instead. Um, I don't know. But I guess part of what you're describing, though, as well, I mean, it, what is the role for government in this? Um, you, you talk about bubble wrapping and and mm -hmm. how do we, um, you know, move people however they're they're knocking on our doors safely into this uh, into their their role working within Sunnybrook or another institution in the country um, what more can government do to support you and your organization and your colleagues across the country yeah I mean I, I would say one of the things that the province of Ontario or Ontario government has done that I I think is quite frankly, brilliant. Um, and I think should, uh, if it's not already being done across the country, um, should be looked at, um, is a program that we refer to as our extern program. So uh, the way it works both for um, students, but also for internationally educated is they can come into the role and we refer to them as an extern. And what that means is they can perform the job uh, supervised obviously but performs the job that they will graduate uh from doing so they could be a second year nurse for example or they could be on their their um their plan to become uh, a licensed nurse here in in ontario um and they were internationally educated and they perform as a nurse but completely supervised completely safe um ensuring that they have the right supports in place but they get their they get the front hands-on experience and exposure and understanding of not only what it's like to do their job, but they get the satisfaction of being able to do that job. So um, I think that's, uh, that's a program that the provincial government here in Ontario has uh, implemented and funded. And, and a huge shout out to my colleagues here who've been instrumental in the development of that program. Uh, but that that's huge, I think, because what what that does is whether we're talking about an internationally educated uh, nurse uh, who's you know twenty years into their career but new to Canada, or a student who's you know twenty one and um, you know in second or third year of nursing school. But it gives them that hands-on experience. And I know I remember uh, what it was like to go to university and to hear 
situations and hear how things work, but not never really truly understand it. And then you get into the workforce, you're like, oh, I wish I'd known that when I was reading that, (laughs) you know, article or that book or that textbook or writing that test. And, um, and so I think that that like hands on lived experience while going to school or in, in the case of students, they could be here, uh, for the summer months and they do, they do it over the summer. Not only does it benefit them because they have a summer job, but they have a summer job in an in industry in their background, which is exactly where they want to go. And um, gives them sort of a, a leg up to navigate the system when they graduate. So I think um, it's a brilliant program. Um, my uh, my advocacy would be to make sure it never goes away, um, or at least not for the next five years. Uh, it's expensive, of course, um, as is everything, but you've got to invest now to reap the benefits down the road. And I think that um, it's a great way for uh, whether it's internationally educated or students to get experience and exposure. And also I would say get experience and exposure to what it's like to work at Sunnybrook, for example, or another healthcare system, um, in the province. So they get, they get an understanding of what it's like to be an employee at Sunnybrook before they've, um, fully committed. Uh, so I think it's a great opportunity for us to showcase to them why we're an employer of choice, but it's also a great opportunity for them to understand where they want to spend their life. Interesting. So it's kind of like a co-op, but a funded program at the same time or? Yeah, exactly. It's like a co-op, exactly. But there's way more flexibility. So in a co-op program, you have a definitive term, um, you you know, January to April, whereas this, this is, um, so if you're a nurse, say at the University of Toronto, you can be an extern with us and work weekends or work evenings um, or, you know, work two shifts a week, for example, while you're continuing to go to school. So there's uh, an immense amount of flexibility. So it's like having a, it could be like having either a summer job or a part-time job, but in your area of, uh, of study, as opposed to, you know, working in, you know, the local restaurant or whatever. The, the gig economy meets co-op sort of. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Exactly. My CEO would appreciate that statement for sure. <laughs> ah, cool. Very interesting. Um, so anything else that you think you, I mean, so you've, you've given a good example of what Ontario is doing to support this. Um, do you see a role for the federal government? Um, not to get too political here, but, um, but if you were to knock on their door and say, you know, you could help us more in terms of getting that bubble wrap or getting people, um, moving through the system, where's the challenge there that they can support? You know, I, I'll be honest. I'm I'm not a um, I'm not an expert in the federal immigration process. Uh, it's not an area that I've studied at, at great length. But I will say, um, if they're not already doing this, my my wish would be that um, they identify those who are. Uh, internationally educated in fields where we are desperate. And again, maybe they're doing this. And I, and I would say more broadly than just healthcare, like if we are desperate for, I don't know, financial analysts or um, individuals who have a background in IT, um, that they, that the federal government is looking at those applications, those immigration applications with that type of lens, with a very specific and and targeted lens to make sure that uh, we are, um, you know, providing those individuals with opportunities to join, to join our country, assuming that, and, and, I, and again, I, I'm not a federal expert and I, and I'm not definitely not an immigration expert. So um, assuming that there's 
you know, ethical, um, appropriate ethical views on everything I've just said. Uh, if the, if there was an opportunity to sort of say, okay, here's the 10 applications that have come in today. Um, you know, and these four are all healthcare workers. Uh, let's make sure that they, you know, are navigated through the right system. Uh, and, and that they're, that they're supported. I'm not suggesting that they have to be expediated um, because again, I would be mindful of, of any kind of ethical components to this process. And I, um, and I'm not the expert, but I, I think if there's an opportunity for us to say, Hey, we're really looking for pharmacists. or we're really looking for nurses. Um, and, and if you've got a pool of them, we'd be interested in, you know, who they are. Um, I think, I think that's a, a huge opportunity for sure. Um, but again, I, I'm not the expert in that. So perhaps they're already doing that and I'm just not uh, not aware of it. Yeah, I, it's hard to say. I, I'm not an expert either, but I, but I would guess that if you did know, if it was happening, you probably would know about it. So they would have to be connecting with you. Um, you know, I, I mean, whether it's a taxi service or, or bubble wrap service, right? But it's if, you know, they identify people you know, coming into the country, they've already ethically chosen to come here, then how do they make sure that those people, right, are delivered or, right, they're, right, they don't get lost in transit. Um, and um, and there's so many reasons that can happen, I think, as we talked about it at, at the outset, whether that's, you know, in terms of getting settled, whether it's language services, whether it's, you know, helping people through the uh, a licensure process or connecting them with an, an external program like you've described, uh, it's, you can put all these things in place, but if there's no pipelines that connect people to them, they, they don't even know where their services or supports might be, I'm assuming. Yeah, for sure. One, one of the really cool programs um, that we, we do have here that has been slightly put on hold because of COVID, but I'm very hopeful we get back um, is a partnership with the Toronto District School Board. And so uh, we have, we do have a co-op program here. Um, it's uh, with the Toronto District School Board where students can apply for uh, or to be a part of the co-op. And they do a four-month co-op term here at the hospital and work in clinical programs um, and get exposure. And, and typically it's individuals who want to get into some sort of profession within uh, you know, a, a clinical field, whether it's medicine or nursing or labs um, or research, um, very large, uh, predominant, a large amount of, of students that want to get into research, clinical research. Um, and and one of the one of the things that struck me in 2019, um, which was the last, well, I guess 2000 and the end of 2020 was the last sort of time period where we had this co-op program, um, but we. We did an award. Uh, we always do awards at the end of the co-ops. And one of the awards that was given out was to a student who was um, had immigrated from Syria, I believe, and um, had come here, spoke absolutely no English. And she was in grade 10 and within a year was speaking fluently. And I didn't know that when I met her and had an opportunity to, to chat with her and, and talk to her about her experience as a co-op student at Sunnybrook and, and all of the amazing things she got to do. And, you know, her English was spectacular. Um, and she was able to uh, really reap the benefits of the program. Um, and uh, But she'd only been in Canada for a year. And one of the reasons why she was successful in that program was because she was surrounded by uh, parents who were able to foster that learning and give her everything that they possibly could to make sure she was successful. And so, you know, 
that's an amazing experience for her as a student. Um, we were able to give her exposure to a clinical environment. Um, she, she blossomed like you wouldn't believe and um, walked away with uh, an amazing experience. But what was incredible was, you know, her parents were highly educated, but, you know, one was, I think, working in a grocery store and one was, um, you know, driving a taxi. And so, you know, it's, it's, there's so many areas that I see as opportunities, you know, in speaking with her parents and understanding, you know, their journey and saying like, okay, well, what, what are you, what are you trained to do and, and how can we foster that? And so I, I, I think there's, um, I think there's lots of untapped um, components to this very complicated process uh, that I think, you know, over time, uh, we will get better at um, tapping into uh, and and learning. Uh, but you know the programs we've got going right now are amazing, and I'm incredibly proud of the work we've done. And I think, uh, and yet I think there's still lots more to do. Thanks, Kristen. Yeah, I, I think a lot of what unites so much of what you've been t- describing um, and, and sharing is is around you know mentorship and supports and navigation, but that. You know, to be a, a new Canadian um, or would-be new Canadian um, requires support all along the journey. Um, and I'm certainly very inspired by the kind of work that, that you and Sunnybrook are doing, Kristen. And um, I, I thank you again for being so uh, collaborative and sharing in, in, um, in giving us your insights and experiences. Um, I really do hope they help inspire others across the country to do similar things. Um, I think there's a lot to be learned from what you're doing and we can continue to learn from each other. So thank you very much again for joining us today and sharing. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Okay. Take care, Kristen. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the HQ and I'm Dale Sherbeck, your host. You can find this and other future episodes on the CHA Learning website, Apple podcast or Spotify. We'd love to hear what you think, so please follow us on our other social media channels. Thanks for joining us in this discussion today. Please join us next time.